This podcast is brought to you by PencilPay. Take your wholesale credit applications online, collect a billing method, and control when you get paid. Welcome to Product Hub. I'm your host, Tim Demetriou. Today's guest is David Burns. He's the founder of DJB Consulting and Food Mover, an app connecting hospitality buyers and sellers. David made the shift from a cushy corporate gig with a guaranteed salary to running a consulting business, putting his craft to work. We talk about the challenges he faced to get the first couple of customers and some of the good stuff as well. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Guys, today we've got David Burns from DJB Food Group. They're a business that operate in the food and bev area. Um, and what they do is they consult to a bunch of different companies to try and either bring them on shore or get them up and going to be able to distribute their product. Have I just butchered that, mate? Or oh, that was perfect, Tim. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Beautiful view. Yes, it is glorious. Unfortunately, no one can see it, but but, but us, which is, <laughs> that's kind of all that matters. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Mate, um, we had a bit of a chat on the phone the other day and we just had a bit, bit more of a chat now. I'd love to learn a little bit more about what you guys do not only from the consultancy perspective, but I think later on we'll get into talking a little bit about technology and how that's kind of changed your life a little bit. Can you give us a rundown on on the business itself and um, probably start with where you came from? Um, I'd love to I'd love to know what led you to 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 this role here today. Yeah, geez, we could go back a long time. So, grew up in the UK, uh, seaside town, Eastbourne, um, and then left school and uh, went did my diploma of hospitality. Uh, became a you know chef by trade, so spent decade just over a decade in the hot, sweaty kitchens of uh, of London and Europe. Um, came to Australia and um, continued that, and then my my uh, bizarre call it a lucky break, but you know you create your own luck. Joined uh, Coles Supermarkets in that capacity of uh, developing uh, or helping develop the Ready Meals era with that hospitality background working with suppliers to develop the, you know, the ready meals movement, um, you know, a lot of fun and, and then very, very quickly morphed into the, the buying ranks actually. So I was a, became a buyer in the deli and then, and then ran, uh, the in-store bakery business for Coles. This is early two thousands now. Mm. Um, so, you know, a really enormous, you know, trajectory of personal and professional development and growth. And then, uh, I put together the wild bean cafe for BP 2004, led the merchandise team, Spent a little bit of time with Metcash, and then what is unbelievably six years ago now, I uh, and what I thought was going to be in between corporate roles, I uh, you know the classic story of helping a friend of a friend who had a brand who needed some help, and um, yeah, just snowboard into a, a really good fun uh, small business helping primarily food and beverage brands and manufacturers with their strategy to supply into into retail. Yeah, never a dull moment. Absolutely. Um, I think people are, people tend to be a little bit critical these days of corporates, and I think um, you know corporates certainly have their place. What are the good things about corporates, and what are the bad things about corporates? Because you've labelled quite a few there. You've got um, obviously Coles, BP, and Metcash, so three big companies in in a similar space. What are the positives and negatives of working at those type of businesses? It's a really great question, and. You know, Metcash, Coles and BP are all radically different to each other for various different reasons. Well, I loved my corporate career. You know, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I hadn't done that for, for 20 years. 
Um, <clears throat> the number one thing that resonates with me, with me with the corporate world is the, and the bit that I miss, I guess, is the team. You know, I've led big teams and big, big, big part of driving a bigger corporate culture, um, which I really enjoy. And lucky for me, most of my corporate career, I was involved in, you know, areas that were quite sort of entrepreneurial in the food game and the Wapping Cafe and in-store bakery at Coles. So, you know, I was largely, largely left to do my own thing. And then, you know, the thing I love about working for yourself, which has been six years now, I'd, I'd say it's, the, it's, you know, in inverted commas, freedom. Um, and then what does freedom mean? Well, for me, it means, you know, being able to, not that you can't do this corporately, but, you know, I, I am up at the school a lot, dropping off and picking the boys up. And after school, sometimes we play five-a-side soccer in the playground and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm up early as well, so you get everything done and more, but with that outrageous sort of flexibility and, and freedom, which is, uh, which is the best part. And the added pressure that it's, it's all up to you. Yeah, I mean, that is bizarre. You do miss that sort of 15th of the month, you know, lump of dough into your bank account. Yep, yep. It gets sprinkled in all over the place. So that is that is a challenge, but it's, uh, you know, a bit better today than what it was five or six years ago. But, you know, overall, I uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Did you find when you left that world that often your tastes go up with your salary? And <laughs> if you're on 50 grand, you're happy buying a coffee a day and maybe some subway or something like that but if you're on 200 grand you start to want to start to go out for lunch and you want to maybe go out after dinner for, for drinks and all the rest of it and spend all your dough how was it going from obviously you would have been on a pretty good salary no doubt at, at metcash when you finished up there i don't know if it was metcash the last place you worked at before, you, before yeah. you left yeah you know no doubt they paid you well then going from that to kicking off your own thing how did you prepare for that number one did you have to save money and all that type of thing prior to going into it? And number two, what was the shift and, and how long did it take you to get going in this business? Because it's a consulting business. So it takes time to, to get moving. Yeah, really good questions. And, um, you know, it is terrifying, even for me. And I'm, you know, always been pretty entrepreneurial, but, you know, not, not knowing that you're not going to get paid again next month um, is, is actually quite terrifying. Luckily, I did, I did have a, you know, a small amount of savings, which uh, gets chewed up pretty quickly. Um, Look, I think I think um, I think it is really, really, uh, it really is tough, um, and you've got to be patient and you've got to be persistent. Um, but ultimately, you know that that sort of that as long as you can survive, that feeling of the freedom, you know, outweighs everything else. So I think it's been really enjoyable with you know a lot lot more of lot more great stories to follow. Who's your first customer? How did you get them? Uh, first customer was um, an introduction to uh, Vicky and Martin from Jamais Fine Foods um, and uh, we developed a range of uh, uh, nutritional lattes back in, oh my god, 2016 and that was an introduction from someone that I worked with um, in the industry a few years prior so, you know, introductions and uh, word of mouth uh, recommendations and testimonials are, as you would know, are certainly uh, key as they are today. Yeah, absolutely. And to... To kind of further understand what you do, because you can say, you know, we do this and we do that and all the rest of it, but I think examples are always yeah. a really good, um, really good um, opportunity to kind of showcase what you do and showcase your skills. Yeah. So, so it can be with that Jamais Fine Food, it can be with whoever. Can you give me a bit of an example of the type of work that you've done for someone um, that's kind of come to you wanting, wanting some help? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of examples. One one goes way back. So I, I did spend um, 80 months or so with the team at Remedy Kombucha. Uh, it was actually in the 
it appeared to be in their early days, but they'd already been up and running for five or six years. And I helped them with their strategy to, you know, get into the chains in the convenience store industry specifically through, uh, you know, just helping with their their pitch deck and their sales strategy and how we were going to bring that to life. So that was amazing experience working with those guys. Clearly, they don't need my help anymore because they've <laughs> kicked on in a big way. And a more recent one would be, um, so the first part is a product and brand development um, and then sales distribution and marketing after that. So a recent example would be we've developed just recently Australia's first dip range in a paper tub. Um, dip categories full of plastic and it's called nothing n-u-double-f-i-n as in nothing is better for the planet mm-hmm. so it's been a great story uh, in Woolworths now 600 Woolworths stores and independents around the country and that came to light by bumping into Hayden who's the managing director who had a great brand uh, Castlemaine Kitchen which is enormous in you know, Castlemaine only mm-hmm. so we wanted to develop a brand that could resonate around the country and um, we've done that so to answer your question you know, we stood in front of the dip fridge, could see it was all, you know, full of plastic, full of preservative, everything looks the same. Um, so we said, well, let's do the opposite of all of that. So no plastic, no preservative, happy days. Um, here we are. That methodology. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we are talking before that I interviewed Steve from Shine Drink a couple of weeks ago. And that methodology, the same methodology, stood in, stood in, front, of the, stood in front of the fridge at a convenience store and said, all of these are full sugar. That one's got this, that one's for that, this one's for that. And, you know, there was nothing sugar-free and whatever. There was nothing natural and, and all yeah. that type of thing. So it was very easy to for him to be able to, or not easy, you could have the skill to do it, obviously. Yeah. You look at you look at a fridge with dips um, in plastic and I look at a fridge with dips in plastic. I see a fr- fridge with dips in plastic and you see a fridge with dips that doesn't need to be plastic. So yeah. it's a very different mindset. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And, uh, you know, the industry is full of slots and gaps like that. And, you know, my job is to help people identify them and develop products and brands, you know, get them ranged, help them grow, um, you know, and target areas that where that gap exists. And there's plenty more to come. Yeah, it's really interesting how the core, the core product itself doesn't need to change. Sometimes it's a packaging, labeling, naming scenario. Yeah, well, with the no preservative, obviously, there's a shorter shelf life, which equals a higher quality. Um, so most of the most of the dips, almost all of the dips have a preservative added, which helps preserve the color and extend the shelf life. So, you know, dips manufactured one day and it's still being sold eight or nine weeks later. So <clears throat> clearly it's not the same quality. So, mm. And it's a fun brand too. So, you know, nothing is better for the planet. Nothing tastes better. Yeah. You know, something out of nothing. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> how, how important? How important is is it for brands to have the whole climate piece down pat within their story these days? Do you think it's Do you think it's as important as people make out? I do. I really do. I think I was in LA in March at Expo West, which is an enormous health food uh, expo in uh, Anaheim. And uh, the thing that stood out to me more than anything was not the product trends, but what everyone was doing about everything else. So the brand, the packaging, the look, the feel, the story, and the purpose. So the purpose being, you know, what are we doing for the community? What are we giving back? What are we doing about climate change? You know, low food miles, you know, reducing plastic. Yeah, I think it is entry level to the start line today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so you think it's almost a, almost a must? Yeah, yeah I okay. really do. I really do. Absolutely. Fair. So you're saying before that 
you do, you've you've done things like especially for the for um, remedy kombucha, you did things like create the pitch and, and create the pitch deck and 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 basically tried to help them sell it into certain places. Yeah. Um, you know, I've done this the last few podcasts, and it's a really really good exercise to go through. And what I've asked the the people is if you were to come and approach me at a, if I'm a buyer at a Coles or a Woolies or a convenience chain, what are you, what are you saying to me? What collateral am I receiving? How much is too much? All those type of things. Yeah. At the very highest level, I think the, you know, the mindset needs to be, uh, there's a problem and, um, we're going to fix this problem. We're going to help you fix this problem. And the problem is often, you know, there's a gap that you're not seeing or there's a gap that we can fill and you know and we're going to start on monday um and the dips is an absolute classic so um you know evidence that that gap is there evidence that what you're doing is working to a degree and you have traction how do you show how do you show evidence that that that, that the gap's there you just you, you do the same thing you go to their fridge and you say you say here's one of your current fridges and here's what it should be kind of thing yeah, it's a really good question so ev- evidence is really key which is very very hard in the very early days but you you know you can get hold of scan data um it's very other various other ways you can do it with you know results from focus groups and and obviously bring samples and show samples and l- let people eat or drink what you're showing them as well um and i think you know o- often there's a bit of logic that is um illustrated that isn't always obvious mm-hmm. um so yeah and then and then obviously apart from the product and articulating that you know this is the trend or this is what's going to trend as i said before the the brand the packaging the purpose obviously you know pricing comes into mm-hmm. it um and you know let's uh, what's the worst thing that's going to happen let's just give it a crack if it isn't going to work i'll you know I'll happily remove it yep. sort of approach yep and then with um with kind of positioning um, positioning, as we yeah. know, is super important, especially in the FMCG game. Yeah. Um, if your price is higher than the other guy, i.e., the premium dip, so have they got? Are they at a higher price point, or are they at the same price point? Nothing dips is very slightly premium to mm-hmm. mainstream, but we've proven already that it's you know within reach for, uh, especially when you start doing some promotions to get it back into the the, the fray of uh, mainstream dips. But it is slightly premium, but you know within reach, and mm-hmm. most people are open to another fifty cents or a dollar to help the planet. Yeah, and ha- and how important is it to have sales before? Um, so if you're going and you're going and you know into a, a Coles or a Woolies or a you know a convenience chain. How important is it to demonstrate the fact that you've that you've done sales, you've got social media, you've got people that follow, you've got people that buy into the brand, and because a lot of these supermarkets and that type of thing, they're kind of looking for more customers, right? So yeah. if 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 they know that you're stocked somewhere, uh, rather than them having to buy it online or something like that, yeah, it'll actually drive custom to their to their shop. Yeah, right? totally. I mean, utopia rule is you have brand awareness of your product and brand before it's ranged in a major, so. You know, as the brand owner, you've got a much higher chance of consumers taking that product off the shelf. And obviously for the retailer, they've got more assurance that that's going to happen as well. I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. I know, you know, David at H2 Cocoa, which is one of the first coconut waters, oh my God, a dozen years ago now, he actually started with Woolworths. Um, but uh, equally, it was one of the first coconut waters. So yeah, so he was very yeah. unique at the time. Yeah, exactly. And then nothing dips again um, was... Woolworths was our first stockist as well. Um, it's been been tough. Been through a range review already and survived just. Um, and um, yeah, so an exciting future there. And I think it really depends on the proposition. 
you know, almost outside of the product, as I keep saying, um, as well as the product itself. And then you've got to work really hard from a sales and marketing point of view to make sure it stays on the on the shelf and, you know, con- consumers continue to um, to take it off the shelf. And with the dips, we haven't even, we started in autumn, winter, and we haven't even gone for a spring, summer yet. So there's, you know, lots of upsides there as well. And for that next step, so you've gotten your product into a trial or a pilot at one of these you know, majors, we'll call it. How do you grow it within the major? Is it a matter of creating relationships up the chain or is it a matter of rewarding the, you know, making sure that um, you stay close to the original buyer? Who makes that call and what do you have to do to get in there and farm? Yeah, look, I mean, it has to sell to stay in, right? It's not it's not complicated. And um, so in, if I ranked the most important things, I think it is, you know, promotion. So making sure in a supermarket setting, whether you like it or not, you know, you need to promote, you need to get that ticket on the shelf to get it highlighted, to communicate to people that are already shopping in the category. And Dips is a classic. Um, you know, recently we've been quite aggressive, you know, to try and switch people out from, um, from plastic into paper. Obviously, great relationship is good, and you know, illustrating that you're you're really investing both time and energy and, and financially into the brand from a marketing point of view. You know, whether that be digitally, um, you know, both both the big chains here have internal marketing companies where you can do lots of tricks, in-store point of sale and online um, propagating on on their online store and all this kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, not easy, and it does take time, mm. and obviously it's you know depends which category we're talking as well obviously you know some some categories are up for more disruption than others some are lagging a little bit behind in terms of innovation so as i said always always plenty of opportunities tim what's your prediction for hot categories for i mean what's what's hot right now and then you know in have you got any predictions for in 12 months time and we can we can catch up again and do another recording and and we can see if you're right. <laughs> yeah, look, I think obviously no secret the health food arena is in huge growth post COVID. The key, what, what I like to talk about is the you know the areas of our sort of anatomy that are important to us now, and they are um, gut. And I think the kefir and the kombucha movement were a big part of that, so people do understand gut health. Gut health is really really important. So you know fiber and uh, probiotics, prebiotics, all these types of products. Uh, very very important and the brain is the next one so you know steve who you met a few weeks ago the nootropics is an amazing Mm -hmm. brand in new zealand called arepa which is a great uh, beverage as well that has had a lot of scientific um, study around um, you know what that does to help brain function and then our largest organ in our body which is our skin which has been a big collagen movement as you know um so they're they're the big three and then immunity and sleep so you know any product or beverage or blend that addresses those five things are, are, yeah, okay. the, are the really big movers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's again, less about product and more and less about category almost and more so into outcome. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, they're the big sort of health food ones. Then there's, you know, indulgence, so healthy indulgence or permissible indulgence, you know. Permissible uh, indulgence. Matt, Matt from, I like that. <laughs> Matt uh, from Health Lab has done a great job in Australia um, with really sort of nailing, uh, you know, better for you indulgence, gluten-free, plant-based. Um, and then, you know, this this whole meals movement, chilled meals, frozen meals, meal components, meal kits, you know, it's enormous growth. Um, but again, big, big opportunity to differentiate within there as well. I feel like there was really big growth in that area prior to COVID and then COVID kind of, from a logistics standpoint, it it's really, tough. really damaged it. And But 
I remember, you know, even being in my apartment building, downstairs there was just boxes of the stuff everywhere prior to COVID and then COVID hits and it was it just disappeared. Yeah. I remember, you know, um, being in a restaurant sort of in the middle of middle of COVID and um, the amount of Uber Eats that were going out the door was staggering. There's like two tables sitting inside and there would have been 30 Uber Eats bags sitting on the table with drivers coming in. It was insane. It's, so. it's disgusting. Uber Eats is the vast majority of Uber Eats. I feel like I feel like everything tastes the same and you can order Italian or Mexican and it all tastes the same. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a thing in my head, but I stopped getting Uber Eats I don't know, a couple, probably a couple of years ago. Um, because I, you know, I've done a, I did a, um, I did a commercial cookery course while I was at school and in, as, as, as one of my year 12 subjects and, um, you know, I really like cooking, but when you're in your twenties, you just forget about it. But, um, yeah, then when I hit my thirties, I'm like, I start again yeah. and, um, and I love it. It's brilliant. So much better than the food quality is so much better than the, the crap that you get from Uber Eats and it's actually yeah. hot when you eat it. Yeah, that's right. We uh, we cook a lot at home too, so um, boy, boys are boys are well fed. A bunch of boys, but um, yeah, that that meals area is uh, is really taken off now. After you know, I think you know, chilled meals nothing new. I mean, I was involved in that in literally the mid nineties. Mm. Um, you know, like thirty almost thirty years ago, and it's really only probably in recent I don't know five years when it's mm-hmm. really really kicked on and been accepted. And we talk chilled meals that are you know reheated microwave usually. Um, not like unfrozen, unfrozen. Yeah, so. and you, you foods are a big part of that because they really, they really got into the marketing behind mm-hmm. the brand, and um, yeah, but still, 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 some opportunities in there for sure. Yeah, there's always this. Yeah, it's interesting. The amount of nuance that is available in different categories is is extreme. You know, yeah. there's um, there's a lot of brands that are a lot of there's a lot of brands that are coming out in categories that there's some you know there's a leader and the, and the leader's slowly dying. And these other brands are just, you know, they do one thing slightly different and they can, you know, they can kill. I mean, you look yeah. at, have a look at Monster. You look at, you think about Red Bull and Red Bull category king for however long. Yeah. You know, Monsters, Monsters the, is the, is the, if you were to um, bet on the stock market 10 years ago, Monster is the highest growth stock in the entire stock market in the US. Yeah, amazing. You know so if, yeah, if you were to put a dollar on Monster 10 years ago, It'd beat any other stock ever. UFC would be a big part of that, wouldn't it? Don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what it's from, but um, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a significant thing for a, for a business that wasn't even the category king. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, let's talk. Let's talk technology. So, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on today is um, I know that you're about to roll out some new technology. I know you spent a lot of time working through it and building it and um, you know doing a lot of user testing and a lot of conversations with customers yeah. and all that type of thing to see what everyone wants. Um, can you give me a bit of a rundown on Food Mover? Yeah, Food Mover, you know, it was an idea I had oh God, a long time ago now when I first started sort of outside of the corporate world and it was really started off, the idea started off to help create some transparency around who I could connect with in the industry for potential trading opportunities. So the first part of Food Mover is our Food Mover partners, which are all the persona, so brands and manufacturers, distribution companies, retailers, and uh, of course, industry service providers, whether that be a packaging company or a contract manufacturing company or a marketing company, whatever it might be, uh, in a transparent manner to enable them to network and connect for trading opportunities eventually worldwide. So obviously we're kicking off in Australia. So if I'm a brand, I want to link in with a distributor or a retailer. If I'm a retailer or a brand, I want to be able to get the great brands first to get exposure to the great brands if i'm a service provider then i want to sort of link in with everyone um, when you subscribe you can list your categories of interest 
which creates automated um, introductions. So mm-hmm. if I'm interested in chilled meals that we just spoke about and I'm manufacturing those in, in automated introductions. And you can also rate and review uh, distribution companies and service providers uh, so it's easier to find the good service providers, a little mm-hmm. bit like how you know TripAdvisor began, I guess. So that's that part. And then the other part is all things education. So obviously we've just been chatting for the last 15 or 20 minutes on um, all the nuances of the food industry. So we've got some great masterclasses, digital masterclasses, mostly uh, incorporating yours truly at the moment. Um, so, you know, how do I start a brand? How do I scale a brand? If I want to export, where do I start? Um, how do I pitch my product? How do I, um, uh, how, do, how do I know what the next trends are going to be, which we've also just chatted about? How do I fill gaps in the market? Uh, and the list goes on and on and on. Yeah, I think those those learnings are, you know, they're obviously better than any learnings that you'd ever get at a structured structured college or university or, or even or high school or wherever. Far and away better than that. But they're also things that people can waste a lot of time in the industry that they're in before they actually truly understand it. And I think that having that head start just completely changes the ball game for a new entrant. And it also changes the ball game for an entrant who is just going along slowly, slowly. They might not have the courage to be able to go and look for a large contract, but if they can understand what it takes and what it, what's required, which is a hell of a lot more than what they've got probably, to actually go into a major and go and get a deal done at a major, you know, they need to have their manufacturing. They need to have to be, they have to be able to scale and scale fast and scale when the when the retailer wants it. So there's so many things that people don't think about. People think they go create a product and they can, you know, roll it out across. Oh, it's going to be in two thousand stores and da 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 da. Yeah. When the reality is, it's a real slog, isn't it? It is, and it's as much about what you shouldn't do as it is what you should do. Um, yeah, and what we want to do is help people, you know, avoid the risk of wasting time and money and try and get everything right first time, which is easy for, for me to say sitting here, but it is, um, it's so easy to, you know, waste a lot of time and money. So we want to help people avoid that, right, you know, from, from start to finish, whether you're a established manufacturer. I mean, a lot of the big manufacturers I've worked with are, are really quite lost with this topic as well, amazingly. You know, companies I've known that have been around for, you know, 20, 30, 50 years plus as well as people who just have an idea, which I work with as well. Um, so, yeah, we want to help people connect for trading opportunities and edu- help educate them so they can win. Since, yeah, what, what's one of the big things that comes up with, with me, and because people know that I'm in this space, you know, I don't know a thing about manufacturing, but everyone knows I'm in this, my, you know, the people I deal with, they know I'm in this space. And the first question I get is if I wanted to, create this type of product who's the manufacturer that i would go to and i get that a hell of a lot does this would this app be a solution for that type of person because you think about it you only want to make a short run you want to yeah. maybe create a you know a, a, maybe a hundred of what you're doing or 10 of what you're doing or something like that to yeah. prototype and then you want to test it yeah. before you go and have to commit to china or commit to you know yeah. southeast asia or something yeah, well, certainly um, contract manufacturers and manufacturers will be part of the industry service providers. And, you know, over time, there'll be, you know, reviews and ratings and, you know, the guys who are great and can help with these small minimum order quantities, etc., will, will come to the fore. So, you know, the answer's um, in, in time, absolutely, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It's amazing how much I get that question. It's a, um, I don't know what it is, but they, um, 
they, I mean, there's a thing called Google that people don't often, often don't often think about. But you know, when it comes down to the individual product that they want, excuse me, the individual product that they want to create, um, it's sometimes it's not as easy to find um, where to go. You know, as it as it should be. No, that's right. And I'm I'm got a couple of things on at the moment where I've been uh, trying to get a bit of help as well. And yeah, it's not that easy. Um, but hopefully, you know. You know, food movers will be able to pinpoint exactly what what you want a lot quicker. Again, coming back to you know saving your time and subsequently money. Yeah. And where do you see food mover in in a couple of years? Is the type of thing you're gonna you know you're gonna go balls and all balls and all into it or? No, absolutely, definitely. I mean, we're very well connected around the world. I've got a good colleague in the US. You come from the UK, you know, parts of Asia, um, UAE. So my my vision is to have you know really good content, really good partners in uh, you know all the regions around the world so that if people want to export into another country they can do that if they want to use food mover f- within their own region they can do that as well um you know i'm looking for sort of you know ten thousand subscribers within the first five years mm-hmm. and you know that sounds like a big number but you go to some of these big food trade shows in europe for example and there's you know seven or eight thousand people exhibiting under one roof so mm. um yeah, I've got big big plans, and uh, we're moving into sort of capital raising uh, phase as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, looking to looking to really drive it, and you know this I think will you know supersede what I've been doing for the last six years in time, and um, you know just focus on amazing content that keeps people on the platform, um, and you know being an amazing tool that's you know low co- low cost, high impact. Yeah. Are there any competitors in the space? I mean, I I I mean I I haven't really looked into that that area of it, but are there any kind of connectors out there yeah they definitely are i mean uh you know range me is pretty enormous they're they're in the u.s now uh, but it, it is um you know so primarily around connecting and mm-hmm. helping people network and being introduced to buyers so we're doing that as well but for, you know the, potentially the bigger piece for us could be the education piece so you know we're sort of one-stop shop for everyone in the food industry and that's what that's the reputation i want to build is that you know i want to build a, a big community that's australian made and owned um with you know tens of thousands of people that enjoy the content at a very, very low cost. Yeah, if you think about it, Australians are going to forever and more and more so be importing anything that they want to sell from overseas. So creating that link between the Australian consumer all the way through to obviously the, you know, the we'll call it the manufacturer being the, um, you know, being the, the brand. Yeah. And then they'll obviously get it manufactured overseas I think creating that link over to overseas manufacturers and um, you know for those brands to be able to do it easily over there is super important. Do you get involved in the manufacturing side of things with your with your with your current clients? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I work directly with a few manufacturers, um, you know, biscuit and cookie manufacturers. So yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, it's actually more enjoyable because you're working, you know, directly with the. The, the manufacturer yeah obviously majority of brands out there uh, the brand owners aren't the manufacturer they're getting someone else to manufacture it for us so there's a there's an enormous uh, manufacturing industry worldwide that can easily be um, unraveled through mm. uh, through food mover and as well as you know service providers like you know packaging companies particularly with sustainable packaging now which is topical as we've spoken about yeah. you know marketing companies is really important because there's thousands of them but it's hard to find a great one in my experience yeah it's hard to find a great one where you can get some outcome relatively quickly yeah even you know even good legal advice you know who can i go to to get organized my grants there's a whole whole raft of i mean most people you talk to in the street would be involved in the food industry in one way shape or form including your good self Mm -hmm. yeah so um 
oh, I forgot my what forgot my question I wanted to ask, but um uh yeah, it's escaped me. But um but for you and you know building building this this cons- this consulting style of business. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. The manufacturers and the brands. What are the biggest challenges they're facing at the moment? Because you know, you hear different things and you know, certainly I hear supply chain inflation it affects different people differently. What are their biggest challenges that they're facing at the moment? So maybe if you can focus on an established type of brand, like, you know, a more established brand, um, you know, what are their biggest concerns today? And then for a manufacturer, what's their, what's their kind of issues? Yeah, well, I think across the board is definitely a rising, rising costs. And, you know, you keep hearing it's, you know, COVID related, but it's, you never really get the absolute transparency about what exactly does that mean? Mm. So the biggest, the biggest, uh, the one I've come across in recent times is the international freight. Um, we bring in carbobites from India and um, it's just been, it's just literally been tripled in the last, you know, 18 months. It's starting to come down again. Um, but obviously you can't pass all of that on, right? Mm. So I think any manufacturer, any brand, uh, right now has been faced with, you know, cost increases in one way, shape or form over the last, well, through COVID, so the last two years, let's say. And, um, you know, it's just almost impossible, well, to pass all of that on because the retailer has to reflect that in the sell pro- in the cost price to maintain their margin. So that would be right up there at the very top, I would say. Yeah, and, a, you know, a, if it's a $5 product, no one's going to pay $7 for it. It's not, that's just not, a, not really a possibility, nah. is it? That's right, but coming back to your inflation question, you know, there is, there is some inf- inflationary um, uh, activity happening out there, obviously, because you know, cost increases everywhere. You know, some are being accepted, and obviously, you know, the bulk of it is being um, reflected in the sell price. So, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah, I was reading. Um, I was reading some some stats out of the US, and um, they were saying that the cash that's been pumped into the US economy because they went ballistic during COVID and then even after COVID, the cash that's been pumped in is going to take 18 months to actually circulate out of the, out of the economy. Hmm. And they've just passed another $350 billion bill, which is going to you know circulate probably about another 70 or $80 billion into the economy in the next 12 months. So that's just going to push it out now. So they're going to have inflation for the next year. Hmm. Um, and it's going to be pretty solid. And that, whatever happens there, happens here six months later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's tough, and I think um, anecdotally, I've heard from several of my peers in the industry that you know uh, consumers that you know they've got deep deep pockets and shorter arms uh, at the moment. <laughs> so something they would have purchased weekly is now fortnightly or monthly, mm-hmm. especially in you know the generally speaking the, the growth areas are you know premium or sub premium um, that are you know a little bit little bit above kind of mainstream if you like. Um, so yeah, you know the sort of proposition between a sort of two dollar packet of pasta versus a you know three dollar or four dollar protein ball is 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 being looked at with a little, little bit more discerning than it may have been over the last pre COVID. I think yeah. that's um, and all the you know the government funding has obviously dried up with the you know the subsidies that were being dished out during COVID, which was which was great. Um, but it's tough. It's tough out there. Consumer sentiment is is tough. I I would say. Yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting. With the um, I had a look at some more some some credit card data as well, and the credit card data in Australia was at its lowest point. Um, so the the app the total outstanding credit card um limit sorry uh, balance across all Australians was at its lowest point in um at the end of COVID that um since I think two thousand and thirteen, which is which when that's staggering. 
usually it would grow by 3% a year, 4% a year, something like that. But it was at its lowest point since 2013. So people have been responsible during COVID and the money had been coming in, but they've been putting it onto, you know, paying off debts, which is mm. fantastic, probably because it's more consistent. Mm. But it's just ballooned again in the last, since COVID finished, what was that, a year ago or something? It's ballooned again. So it's, um, Makes you know, sense. it's up at its, its highest rate ever now. So that's a significant lift. Yeah, I think you know a lot of people were were benefiting from some of the, um, you know, the government subsidies, and that's dried up. So that what you just said, you know, would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, last question: What's the best? What's your favorite brand that you've ever worked with, and what's the best outcome that you've ever had? Oh, that's a tough one. I'd have to say, um, can I pick two? Of course. <laughs> Look, I was at a, a trade show in Germany in October nineteen. And I bumped into the brand Karma Bites, which are pop loader seats. Um, and uh, 12, 12 months later, we had them down here, distributed around Australia. It's just, you know, we've done a lot of consumer shows uh, this year in particular, where we've, you know, sampled to consumers, sell to consumers. And, you know, it's just been a great story of a new snacking brand that's, uh, you know, much healthier for you and with great branding, great packaging, and people just love it. It's just been great to be, uh, you know, part of that part of that journey down here in Australia for it's been two years now and I think I have to say look you know um, the nothing dip story has been a, a really the thing I love about nothing is the pace at which it happened mm. you know people you know some of the large corporates would say it's 12 to 18 24 months to potentially develop a new product and get it on the shelf this was this was fast this mm. is you know sort of three to six <laughs> um, we even got you know the green light from Woolworths before we even had an Instagram account set up yeah, wow. So it's pretty funny, and uh, so they'd be two, but I don't, you know, just in case anyone, any of the other brands are listening, you know, I love love them all, but they'd be this year, uh, nothing, and you know, the last couple of years, I have to say, yeah, Karma Bites, yeah, awesome, yeah. So where can people find you on on the internet? Yeah, myself personally. Yeah, yeah. So LinkedIn, David J Burns. Uh, I've got djbfoodgroup.com We also have uh, socials. Yeah, uh, yeah, David. David Burns underscore David J on Insta. Yeah. Um, we also run a sub brand, Creme Design, which is our product and brand design agency as sort of a spin off from DJB Food Group. And then, um, you know, moving forward, uh, foodmover.net, uh, which is our uh, new uh, platform that I spoke about. That's also available on Android and Apple. And we'll also be exhibiting Food Mover at the Fine Food Australia on between the 5th and the 8th of September at Jeff Shed. So uh, yeah, come along, say hello. We'll put all um, we'll put all David's contacts in the in the show notes at the bottom. And um, yeah, mate, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Our uh, pleasure. It's been great to chat. Awesome. Thanks, thanks Tim. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into Product Hub. This episode was brought to you by Pencil Pay, the world's fastest credit application and payment software for product sellers and their wholesale customers. If you sell products on payment terms check us out at www.pencilpay.com and start getting paid on time today. I'm your host, Tim Dimitriou. See you next time.